0: Coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 27th of November, 2022, what are the odds? So are you ready for Christmas? <laughs> I tell you, this is my favorite time of year, November, December, uh, fall, the change of weather, colder outside, a little crisp. Like the changing colors of the leaves. And then I like the themes Thanksgiving and then the coming of the Savior Christmas. I love it when secular school stores start playing Christmas carols. (laughs) And you go, Did you know what that song just said? But they're not paying attention. Anyway, so I thought we'd start a series. Our Christmas series this uh, this for this year, 2022. The theme came to me for this message earlier on, but it was verified by conversation I had just yesterday, talking to an individual about a relative of theirs and said, this person was raised in church, knows, you know, knows the things that you would know because they have been in church, but it repudiated that, turned and walked, walked away and said, I don't have anything to do with God. The Bible is just a collection of books written by different authors and that's all there is. And I thought, maybe I'll send him a copy of this message I don't know if it straightened them out or not, but hopefully it would be of help. Let's go back to the passage that Tom read for us. And I want to point out some things that are in this passage. In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter, our good friend, the disciple of Jesus Christ, is writing some, really good stuff and as he's talking about this in in verse 10 of this of this first chapter he says now concerning this salvation speaking of so great a salvation provided by Jesus Christ having gone to the cross and offered himself up and the sacrifice there and the death burial and resurrection of Christ he says he says concerning this salvation the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things which have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things to which angels longed to look. Did you catch that? It says the prophets were writing in the Old Testament and they were writing about things that God had revealed to them and they recorded them scripture, but they wanted to know, so when is this gonna happen? And how is this gonna happen? We wanna know the details. And God says, nope, I'm telling you what's gonna happen. And this is when it's gonna happen, but you don't know precisely. And they go, and they wanted to look into it. They wanted to examine it. They wanted to know, but they came to the realization, did you see? it was revealed to them that they were not serving they were serving not themselves but you it says the reader of this book it says to you has been revealed those things that the prophets of old wished they knew and knew know the reality of the things that they were talking about but they didn't ever experience And they were written for you. Those who have been preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things to which angels look. I'd invite you to turn with me to 2 Peter, the first chapter. And Peter is not done talking about prophets and what their prophets are involved in. And in verse 5, he talks about some spiritual qualities of believers. uh, Talking about virtue and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection. He talks about those things with love. And he talks about them as being qualities. And in verse 12 of chapter 1, he says, "...I intended always to remind you of these qualities." Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of remembrance. He says, I just, I said, have you heard this stuff before? The answer is, yeah. Pastor, you're talking about it all the time. He says, have you heard it? Yeah. Should we move on? He says, no. Why? Why? because I want to stir you up to remembrance again. you have a tendency to let those things go? Short-term memory, especially for us older people, right? He says, he says I, I'm putting off the body soon. I'll be with the Lord, those kind of things. He says, so in verse 15, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. He says, I'm writing this just to stir you up and you'll be able to come back and look at what I've written here to provoke you again to do those things. And then he says this, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice that was born to him in the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. What he's making reference to is the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John were taken up onto the mount, and there... For the first time, and only among these three disciples, did they see the glorified Christ when he was here on earth. And he says, we saw the majestic glory. And you remember what their comment was? Let's set up some tents right here. Let's stay here. What do we need to come down off this hill for? This This is it. He says... And we have a prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as were carried along. By the Holy Spirit. This is my favorite passage to talk about fish tails. Anybody ever gone fishing? And caught a big one? No, okay. You ever talk about the one that got away? Okay. And what happens over time with that fish? We we call that evangelistically expansive, right? Evangelistically. It gets bigger and bigger. It says what happens to our memory? Do we remember? We leave out some details, we add in other things, things get bigger, you know. You know was, we may have caught it on a on a bright sunny day, but it was stormy the time we tell it in the story, because that makes it better. No, anyway. He says, we were there on the mountain. We saw Jesus glorified. And he says, wouldn't that be an experience worth having? And he says, even as I think about it today, that was wonderful. He says, but we have something more sure than my experience. We have the word of God revealed. And you go, wow. We're in the book of Revelation, Sunday school, and we say that the prophets, when we think of prophecy, we usually think about something of, that's being talked about, about something that's future. That's the idea that we usually associate with prophecy. But the real core of prophecy is not so much about things that are future, although that certainly is part of it, It's about a revelation from God that's revealed. And a prophet then is a foreteller more than a foreteller. Foretelling might be part of it, but foretelling is the principal reason behind a prophet. In the Old Testament, we've said this in our Sunday school class, they had the priests who were supposed to be spokesmen for God. And then when they started having kings, starting with Saul, then the kings were also supposed to be spokesmen for God. And so when a prophet showed up at scene, that usually is a bad sign because it meant that the first two weren't doing their jobs. And the prophet then stepped in and said, I want to tell you what's going on. And the Lord has a message for you. So I thought, in light of the conversation I had yesterday where this person said, oh, I don't really believe all that stuff, you know, it's one story here, one story there, and whether it's true or not, who could tell? That we would go and look at an element having to do with prophecy that speaks to the truth and the reality of the coming of the Savior. And so this message is going to deal with the topic that you probably may not even have any interest in, but I'm gonna talk about it because I'm interested in it. And some of you know that when I went to school, I was in college preparatory math. Math was my thing, not English, math, okay? And I actually had the joy of taking a class in probability. So we're gonna talk about probability today. And I want you to look at your worksheets and look at your quarters there. We're going to talk a little bit about probability. Probability are the odds of something happening. It's a branch of mathematics that measures the likelihood of a given event will occur. So let's begin. We're looking at our two quarters. We see if we had a quarter, we have heads and tails, one and two. There's two possibilities. Uh, Usually it doesn't land on the edge, but... There's one of two options, heads or tails. You see them every football game, flipping a quarter, picking, you know, how's it gonna land, heads or tails, then the team gets to choose what they want to do after that. But what are the odds of flipping a quarter, and let's say, in our particular case, because you see a lot of heads here, let's say the quarter landing heads When we flip a quarter the first time, what are the odds of it landing heads? It's one out of two. There's two sides. It's either going to land heads or going to land tails. The odds of it landing heads is one out of two. And you can see the little number there, one colon two. But let's say that we wanted to keep flipping these quarters. And every time we wanted them to come up, with heads, what are the ongoing odds of that happening consecutively without breaking up the sequence with a tail? Just head, head, head. What are the odds of doing that 10 times and having it come up heads every time? So let's see the second time, two times. What are the odds? It's one, In four because what you do is your first quarter can be heads or tails and the second can be heads or tails but for both for them to be heads has to be one times two times one times two one time out of four okay you can see where this is going the next one if you did it three quarters in a row it's one of the two one of the two one of the two or it's one in eight. The fourth time, 16. it's what? 16. Everyone together? 16. 16. Okay, Okay, we're on the second row five times for it to happen in a row. 32. The odds are one in 32. 32, 6 times? 64. One, at 1 in 64, 7 times? 128. 8 times? 7 times? 128. 8 times? 256. Nine times? 512. And 10 times in a row? 1,024 times. So it's a pretty safe bet that if you say, hey, I'm going to bet that you can't flip a quarter 10 times in a row and have it come up heads. The odds are in your favor (laughs) that somewhere along that line that sequence is going to be broken and the person's not going to be able to do it because it's only going to happen on average, 1, 000, at once, 1,024 times. You can see how this multiplies as it goes. Let's move down to dice. Dice have six sides, right? If we were going to repeat the same process Now, instead of just two sides, now you have six sides that it possibly could be, and you are going to get the same number, a six or a one or whatever it would be that you pick to start with. Whatever you roll the first time is the one you want, right? (laughs) Because you're already one down then. If you did it 10 times in a row without error, it would come up the same number. The odds are one, in 60,466,176 tons. You'd be rolling dice for a long time before you got a sequence of six numbers, all the same number, without breaking that string. You can see that in probability it increases. So, We recently had Powerball. (laughs) Okay, in Powerball, they want you to to get five different numbers. And there are balls numbered 1 to 69. So the first time you get a number, it's 1 in 69. Now there's one ball down. It's 1 in 68. Next one is 1 and 67, 1 and 66, five times. And then you got a Powerball, and the odds are 1 and 26. So if you multiply all those numbers out, the odds of winning at Powerball and selecting five numbers that is the same plus the Powerball, is one in 292,201,338. So anybody want to go and plunk a dollar down on Powerball? Yeah, because I might win! (laughs) So why all this about probability? He says, because... In the Old Testament, and the New Testament too, but in the Old Testament concerning Christ's first coming, prophecies were made. And the thing was, the, every one of them had to come to pass in order for those prophecies to all be true concerning Christ. It's like flipping the quarters and coming up heads every time. Okay, all these had to come up and all be true at the same time in the life of Christ. So what I'm going to do is take you through just a few prophecies. Those that have studied and looked at the life of Christ says there is approximately 300 prophecies concerning the person and work of Christ that were fulfilled in his first coming. Okay? Did you catch that number? 300 prophecies. So, we're going to let you participate. Mike, do you have your, uh, your phone? Does it have a calculator? If not, the rest of you can play along if you have your phone and just mute it. Okay? So, let's go with the first prophecy because this one's always interesting. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, there's a prophecy. And we start out with a doozy. That the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay. Now, some wags will say, "Well, wait, 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 wait. And if you looked at the language in Isaiah 7, it really is talking about a young woman. And I go, yeah, that's really a sign, isn't it? A young woman will have a kid. Hmm, no, that's what he's talking about. As a virgin, and the reason we know is we go to Matthew chapter 1, and Jesus was born of a virgin. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, an angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, the son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. That which conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She shall bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, He will save his people from the sins. And in verse 22 of chapter 1, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. So what we have is a prophecy in Isaiah about Mary. Now, We know that there was 400 years between the testaments. And we know then that Isaiah was then before that intermediate period, and then there was the coming. And so Isaiah had to prophesy about a woman that would be a virgin who would conceive. Now, what are the odds that a virgin would conceive? Zero. It would be an astronomical number of it happening. It actually did happen, right? Okay, so it isn't zero. It was one out of what? Give me a number. people ever lived. Okay, but we usually we say the odds are very good. That's one in a million, right? But let's pick an arbitrary number. Come along, let's have a consensus real quick now. You, I'm keeping you awake this way. Okay, what are the odds? of a virgin conceiving? Let's pick a, a random number. What? It says it's not going to happen. So we, we let's say one in a hundred thousand. How's that? I mean, that's really a low estimate, right? Yeah. How many more virgins have born a son? Yeah. Only the one. So how many people have been born? Lots of them. Let's put down 100,000. So write it there that should be one in 100,000. Okay? Let's move on to number two. That the Messiah would be God Himself. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Was it fulfilled? Yes. Matthew 1.23. All this took place fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. So what are the odds of this person being God? Oh man, we're in the same sort of problem, aren't we? It's sort of mind-boggling at this time. Shall we go with one in 100,000 again? I mean, it's ridiculous because the number is way higher than that. But let's put that down. Because one of the things I know is gonna happen is we're gonna blow out this computer is what's gonna happen here. Okay. Uh-huh. Let's get to something much more tangible, because you, some people might deny those two and go, oh, come on, he's not really God. And she wasn't really a virgin. In fact, that's what they said about Jesus, right? Oh, you are born of immorality. <clears throat> and you're certainly not God. You make yourself out as God, but you're not God. But let's make something more tangible that we can actually nail down. Number three, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. You've heard that one, Micah 5, 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. That is to be born in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. And where was Jesus born? Duh, in Bethlehem. Luke 2, verses 1 through 7, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus. All the world should be t- registered. This first happened when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to be registered, each to his own home town. Joseph went up from Galilee, from Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. I think he's putting his finger on it, isn't he? because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time for her to give birth, she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swollen clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And what do we know where Jesus was born? Where was he born? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. What are the odds that Jesus would have predict been predicted to have been born in Bethlehem. Hmm. Maybe a little more number than we can handle, right? So, what do we what do we read in the text? It says thou Bethlehem, though thou be little among the what are you following along in Micah 2, 5-2? It says, those are little among the thousands of Judah. So let's go one in two thousand. How's that? That the town of Bethlehem would be the one that would be picked. Now you say, well, why, why did he say of the thousands of Judah? Why didn't he say the thousands of Israel? It's because I have left off some of the prophecies i left off the prophecies that the Messiah would be come from Abraham and that he would come through Judah and that he would come through David. Those are three more prophecies we could have added to the list. When Abram was alive in Ur of the Chaldees and God called him and said, I will make of you a great nation. How many other peoples were there out there? In the time of Abram. Well, we just want to guess. There's too many people, right? But he says, I'm picking Abraham. And then you said, well, what about descendants of Abraham? And you go, Judah. Okay. All right, we can pick Judah. And then a little bit later, out of all the descendants of Judah, the likelihood of one being David, king of Israel, Our number grows, but we didn't have them into our list here to add to. But that's why when he says, little among the thousand of Judah, he doesn't say among the thousands in Israel. He's talking about those that are just in Judah. Why? Because the Messiah had to come through the tribe of Judah. Bethlehem was a city in Judah where Joseph and Mary came. So, what are the odds? I think we said one and two thousand, right? Because he said thousands of Israel, of Judah, so. Okay. How about this one? The Messiah would come from out of Egypt. In Hosea 11, 1, And when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And you go, well, that's weird. But we see fulfillment in Matthew chapter 2. It says, And when they had departed, behold, this was the wise men had left. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, said, Arise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the, the child And his mother by night departed to Egypt, remained there until the death of Herod. This was fulfilled that the Lord has spoken, out of Egypt I called my son. Okay? So what are the odds that a Jew would be called out of Egypt? Where were the Jews living in the time of Jesus? Well, there was some of the dispersion. But we already had the prophecy concerning him being born in Bethlehem. Where's the likelihood that a Jew born in Bethlehem would find his way to Egypt? Give me a number 5,000. 5,000? 5, Can we live with that? Okay. You know why he offered that answer? So the pastor would get done with his message quicker. Okay. <laughs> There's another prophecy and that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. in Isaiah 11:1 probably is the reference to this. He says, "There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, the branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the idea of the stump of Jesse, the branch, is Nazar, where we get the word Nazarene. And you go, well pastor, you're really stretching now." except in Matthew two twenty three, it says, and he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, so that it would be spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. And you go, so what's the likelihood of him being called a Nazarene? <clears throat> Come on now. Other, it, the longer you sit, the longer we're, I'm preaching, so <laughs> give me a number I don't care 10,000 okay. how many? Ten thousand. 10, okay okay, one in 10,000 now you can see the confusion about the prophets of old What did they have in their hands? That Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, yet called out of Egypt, and be called a Nazarene. In fact, it was so confusing, even for those that lived in Jesus' day, that we see this in John chapter 7. And when they heard these words, Jesus had been preaching, some of the people said, this is really a prophet. And others said, This is the Christ. This is the promised one. But some said, is Christ come from Galilee where Nazareth was? Has not the scripture said that Christ is from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And so there was a division among the people over him and they were living at the same time that Jesus lived. What about the prophets of old hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before who had prophesied he is from Bethlehem, he comes out of Egypt, and he is called the Nazarene. You can see their confusion, and you can see why Peter would say that the prophets wanted to look into this and wanted to see how in the world is this going to work out? We don't get it. And they were told, it wasn't for you prophets, it was for those who are reading this and now know the truth of Jesus Christ. And we go from our perspective, we go I know how this works out he was born in Bethlehem he was chased out of Bethlehem by Herod down into Egypt when Herod passed away they returned back to the land from where they came which was, according to Luke 2 back to Nazareth and so he grew up in Nazareth We have the answer now, the prophets of old didn't have it. We have it now. But when they were making the prophecy, did it make any sense? Absolutely not. We have the answer now, which is exactly what Peter said. These things were written for your benefit. Now we've been dealing only with the prophecies concerning those things right around the birth of Christ. I'll give you one more that's a little more ugly. And that was the Messiah's birth would include death of innocence. In Jeremiah 31, 15, he says, The Lord said, The voice of in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children and she refused to be comforted for her children. Because they are no more. Somebody may say, well, wait a minute. How, how do you know that that was a prophecy? The reason we know it's a prophecy is because when you get to the New Testament, they said it was a prophecy. Listen to what it said in Matthew chapter 2. Then what was fulfilled was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah in Matthew two seventeen. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because there were no more. Herod was the one who chased down, wanted to chase down Jesus, and in the process, wiped out the innocents. So what are the odds that there would be a massacre centered on the life of Jesus at his birth? Number 7,000. 7,000. Thank you because I know you want to go home. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So we have been working on a probability table for seven prophecies. How many did I say there were? Approximately 300 concerning the life of Christ in his first advent. We haven't talked about the more strategic ones that talk about his lineage, although I mentioned it, but we certainly haven't talked about his ministry and his death and his burial and his resurrection. Why? Because this is a Christmas message. So, Mike, I have some numbers for you to multiply. Okay? okay? Starting at the beginning, one in a hundred thousand. So a hundred thousand times a hundred thousand. Remember, we said those estimates were low. Okay, times two thousand. Times five thousand. Times ten thousand. Yeah, hold on just a moment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I told you I was going to blow up his his phone here. One hundred thousand times, and then two hundred or two thousand. 100, 100, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000, and now 7,000. 10,000. And now 7,000? Yes. And what number do we have? A 7 with 24 zeros. Yeah, to the 24th power. Okay. That's a big number, isn't it? (laughs) What I want to deal with? Yeah, it says E, there's an error here. <laughs> it says, my my computer brain hurts. Okay. So we have an astronomical number with how many prophecies? Seven. How many prophecies concerning Christ? Over 300 prophecies concerning the first advent of Christ. What does Peter have to say about that? First of all, the prophets who want to look into this. But I want you to pay attention to this verse in 2 Peter chapter 1. I I gave you the longer segment, but we're time's up, so I'm just going to cut to the chase here. In verse 19, listen carefully to these words, one sentence. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. What? More confirmed? The Peter's personal experience on the mountain of Transfiguration. He says, something that is more sure. How many would have loved to have been at the Mount of Transfiguration and see Christ glorified? Yeah, I would like to have that in my memory, Banks. So something I have seen I had experienced, Peter says. I've got something that's more sure than that. He says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention. Are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? As a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart hear what Peter says? He says, I want you to pay attention because the purpose of all of this was just not so the pastor could preach a message about weird numbers and not to blow up Mike's computer. But though we would have a sure word of prophecy because what he gave to us was to bring about a heart change the as he says the day star dawn in your heart peter would go on to write this and i think this is interesting because we like to quote this one it says in first in second peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 10 don't overlook this one fact beloved that the Lord, one day is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. All these words were not just prophecies for the purpose of talking about the future, but for conditioning the idea of a promise that he was making to you that a savior would come and then the savior did come. He says, not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. The purpose of these revelations, these prophecies that were then fulfilled were not so that you would have a bunch of information and and facts and figures and odds of this happening but so that it might drive each one of us to repentance and right relationship with the living God. The prophecies surrounding Jesus were given to produce a heart change in you. You know, a summary statement. Are you ready for this? It's no gamble to bank on Jesus no gamble whatsoever. It's a sure thing. Someone might say, well, you've been talking about probability. And he says, in order for this to happen, given the odds, the fix would have to be in, right? And the answer is, you're absolutely right. God said the fix is in. This is how it's going to be. And there is no turning away from it. It's going to happen. So the question is what do we do with prophecy and cop prophecies that come in Christ? Make sure our heart is right with Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I realize we've taken a little bit of a tangent here with mathematics and probability and odds. But you're the one that gave us these truths. Even given us the principles of prop. Probability, so that we could apply them to these scriptures. And Heavenly Father, we have a word more secure than the experience of Peter when it comes to the reality of the person and the work of Jesus Christ and his purpose in securing so great a salvation for all who believe. Heavenly Father, may we be people who are convinced by your word about the reality of the person and the work of Jesus Christ and put our hope and trust in him and are saved. We give thanks for so glorious a truth that we can proclaim and for a person, Jesus Christ, who is at the very core of it. We give thanks in his name. Amen.